Good morning, church. Man, and we've got a story to share, do we not? Man, what a joy that we have to serve a risen Savior. And we're here today to celebrate that very thing, to encourage one another on the journey, uh, to realize all the blessing that we can have in Jesus Christ. Indeed, he will make all things new. I'm so glad that you're here this morning uh, to share that expression, that story with one another as we encourage one another on the journey, and as the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that very thing as we enter into the world in which we belong, to share how awesome Jesus Christ truly is. And the life that he offers us is so incredibly deep and joyful and peaceful. We want to share that with everyone. Thanks again for being here today. We want to say a welcome to our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us, being a part of Crosspoint. Uh, our hope, of course, is if you're looking for a spiritual home, we'd love for you to be a part of our Crosspoint family right here to help share that story of Jesus Christ using your gift set, your talents, to do just that very thing. There are lots of ways to get plugged in into ministry here. You can check the bulletin out and discover different ways that you might fit in. One of those ways that's upcoming, Michael mentioned it uh, a while ago, was uh, we're going to start a live streaming event here in a few short weeks. Uh, And so we're looking for folks who might be interested in operating a camera, who might be interested in working with the computers or the lights and the sound. And if that uh, falls in your wheelhouse, if that's something you're interested in doing, uh, please see one of the staff members, see one of our shepherds, talk to the folks back in the the sound booth, and we'll get you uh, lined out and and, and the direction that you need to go to get involved in that ministry. Uh, It's such an incredible uh, gift that we have in front of us to share the message of Jesus with the world around us with this online campus. And so it's going to be a great opportunity to be together to do just that as we are the family of God sharing that message of hope that is Jesus Christ. We're going to be in Matthew 27 this morning, and I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. I'll be there in just a few moments. Uh, We are continuing in this series called Rewrite. What does that mean to rewrite? Well, for us, it means that Jesus Christ is rewriting our story. That you and I have our share of mess-ups and mishaps, that we've got some guilt in our life. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that our story gets to be rewritten. It's an incredible thing to think through and understand how much that we have been loved by God Almighty. That he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And that he rose from that grave, and because we are found in him, we too will rise one day, will be found holy and righteous in God's sight through Jesus Christ. What an incredible story that is for you and for me. I invite you to share that with your neighbors and your friends by inviting them to the Easter service April 1st right here. Uh, We'll start out with a a morning uh, service out in the parking lot at 7.15, but then we'll have a normal two services right in this room. But a great opportunity uh, for you to share that with your neighbors, your coworkers, friends, and family to have them here on that Easter Sunday. You know, as you have interacted with folks, my guess is if you're like me, you've, you've hear, heard their story of faith, and maybe it's been a different denomination than you experienced growing up. Maybe it's even a different faith walk where Jesus may be not uh, be a part of their story. But as you kindly listen to their story unfold and you hear how uh, their spiritual journey has been, one thing that I have been aware of and I encourage you to do as well is to listen for some phraseology in that storyline. And one of those is the idea that Jesus Christ is God. That is a hinge point of our faith. It is absolutely necessary if we are going to experience and have everything that God has promised us in our life. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That is the bottom line. 
But there are some folks that we talk to, as you probably have experienced in life, who as they talk about Jesus Christ, they confirm he was a great man of God, that he certainly was in line with the morals that God had established, that maybe he even was a miracle worker, a truly great person of the Word of God who could orate and preach and teach in incredible ways, but maybe not divine, maybe not the Son of God. And as we think through those ideas and as we interact with the world around us, our life has to be emblematic. We have to be absolutely set on the idea that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. Now, he proclaimed that in John chapter 10. As he's talking to his disciples and to us today, Jesus is explaining what it means to be found in his Father, uh, in God the Father, rather. That once you have committed to that, once you have said, God is my Lord, he is the God for me, and I'm going to follow him. Once you're in the palm of his hand, nothing and no one can take you out of the palm of God's hand unless you make a decision to walk away from that relationship. Jesus goes on in verse 30 to say, the Father and I are one. We are the same. Jesus says, I am God. Paul wants to reiterate that idea as he writes to a church in a little town called Colossae. And he writes to us this morning as well to reinforce the idea that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. And he says in Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Paul wants to remind us as his readers that we too are holy and righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That when God looks at us, he sees us not in our guilt and our sin, but through his son Jesus Christ. And because of that, we too have the hope of resurrection one day. Isn't that exciting, church? Isn't that to, to, to know that we have a God who loves us so incredibly deeply that he sent his son for us and wants to redeem us? Now, if you're anything like me, you've had trouble along the way wrapping your head around the Trinity because we are created individuals, not the creator. We uh, think linear. And so trying to think about God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit wrapped up in one person sometimes can get us off track, sometimes can lead us in a direction that maybe we find hard to come back from. But what I've discovered along the way is that it is impossible for the created to fully describe the creator. That if we, er if we knew every nook and cranny of who God truly is, he wouldn't be a very big God, would he? And see, that's why we use faith so much in our spiritual journey, because we are trusting and believing in a God who's made promises and come to full value in those promises for us in our life. He's made those come to fruition. And we know that Scripture points out that there is one God, and that Jesus said he was God. That those that were Jesus' disciples, as they followed him, as they walked with him, they also believed that he was the Son of God. And on Easter, April 1st, I hope that you'll invite your friends and family to be a part of a Sunday morning 
to discover the hope that they can have in this risen Savior. That even though we find ourselves in moments in our life where we believe it to be hopeless, that God, through his son Jesus Christ, extends hope to you and to me. And it is important, this idea that Jesus is God, because if he is not God, then he is no different than the hundreds that the Romans crucified. There is no significance, really, to the life of Jesus. But see, what we know as followers of Jesus Christ, what we know because we've been in the Word and we've seen him work in our life, what we realize and believe is that the cross made possible the opportunity for us to leave our sin behind, to, to leave the, the guilt we, we have at the foot of the cross, to be justified by grace, and that pardon would be extended once and for all time in Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness, church. And isn't that a great feeling? To know that we have been loved so deeply by the creator of all things. And it doesn't matter how good you think you are or how bad you believe yourself to be. The Son of God displayed his love for you on the cross. It doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum. Jesus died for everyone. Have you ever thought that God could have done things differently to accomplish what he wanted to with his creation? Have you ever thought through the process of the cross? Because the cross is an unconventional way to show love, if you think about it. I mean, the cross in, in Jesus' day was a place of humili- humiliation. It was a place of degradation. It was not seen as a subject of humility, of sacrifice, of love. And no one in A.D. 30 would have been wearing a chain with a, neck, with a, with a cross on it. Wouldn't have done that. See, the cross was a place of defeat. It was a place of unbearable pain and loss, of humiliation and mockery. But God used the cross for a totally different purpose. He reminded us of two different ways that his love is shown through the cross. You see, the cross expresses the limitless extent of God's love for you and for me. It shows just how far God was willing to go. And the suffering that occurs with the cross is really unimaginable today. Now, Hollywood has tried to to give us a visual of that over the last 20 years. We read the story, and in our mind's eye, we try to concoct what that must have looked like, what that must have felt like. But the truth is, it, it really is unimaginable. But the cross shows the length that Jesus was willing to go to to prove his love for you and for me. He endured the pain on the cross so that the rest of creation would know just how much he loved them and loved you and I. But the Jewish leaders, they wanted nothing to do with that. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. See, they they assumed that the Messiah, the coming Messiah, would be someone that would establish an earthly kingdom, a king who would kick out the Romans and reestablish Israel of old. But you and I know that that's not Jesus' kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is spiritual. It's heavenly. It's eternal. 
but yet they wanted something more. They sent Jesus to be tried eventually by Pilate, and after Pilate talked to Jesus, interviewed him, understood where he was coming from in his ministry, really found nothing that warranted the death of Jesus. And so these Jewish leaders in Jerusalem had to make sure that Pilate understood exactly who Jesus was. Because if Jesus is the king of the Jews, if he is the king of Judea and Israel, then that means Caesar is not. And so Pilate followed through with a treasonous accusation to condemn Jesus to a horrible, horrible death. You see, crucifixion is an incredibly drawn-out process. It's not quick. It draws out the humiliation that one would experience, the embarrassment that someone would experience, the mocking atmosphere that someone had to endure. And Matthew writes in chapter 27, a chronicle of Jesus' death. We see that Pilate has found Jesus to be guilty. And he sends him out to be flogged. Now, this isn't just a beating, is it just a whipping? Flogging uses a cat of nine tails, and at the end of each one of those strips of leather is a piece of bone or stone or lead. And as you whip the individual who's tied to a post, it rips the flesh open. It exposes bone. Blood is everywhere. Some criminals never even made it to the cross because the flogging actually many times would disembowel and the intestines would fall out. We haven't even gotten to the crucifixion yet. Jesus is flogged. He's sentenced. And the story picks up in verse 27. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. They placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. All of this, and we haven't even got to the execution yet. Max Lucado says that Jesus had received a death sentence. The governor had said, take him out and kill him. But the soldiers wanted to have a little bit of fun before death actually occurred. See, the Roman government thought power reigned supreme over anything else. But what Jesus shows us in his life and his story is that love reigns supreme. And his love for you and for me got him to move through his story despite the pain that he had to endure for your sin and mine. The cross doesn't only show the extent of God's love, but the cross gives us a physical example of God's love for you and for me as well. 
I mean, God didn't just say that He loved us. He showed us how much He loved us. David Crowder, several years ago, came out with a song called How He Loves. And it begins so beautifully and ends with the idea of how Jesus loves like a hurricane. And I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his grace and mercy. Oh, how he loves me. His love looks like suffering and sacrifice and serving. It is not myth or fake or some mystical belief. It is real what he has done for you and for me. Jesus gave us a tangible expression of what love looks like on the cross. And what is that highest moment of love? Jesus expresses that in John chapter 15. When he says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, and you are my friends. But see, Jesus even takes it up a notch there. We may not even die for one another, although we're friends. Jesus not only died for his friends, he also died for his enemies. The very men who stood around him and pushed that crown of thorns down on his head, And hit him in the head with a stick and spit on him and laid his back open and made fun of him. Were the same men who gathered around the cross and put spikes in his wrist and his ankles. And as they are raising him up, Jesus looks at these men and says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. See, Jesus takes it to a whole new level. That his sacrifice is for the whole world, no matter where you find yourself at. I mean, who really does that? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does that. And he did it for you and for me. The story picks up in verse 45 in Matthew. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and the tombs opened. A couple of things you need to know about that particular text. You see... On this particular day, at 3 o'clock in the temple, there is an unblemished lamb that's taken to the altar. The the priest kills the lamb and places it on the altar at exactly 3 o'clock. And exactly 3 o'clock, there's a priest on top of the temple who has a shofar, which is a ram's horn. And he blows that horn at exactly 3 o'clock. Because what's just happened is the sacrifice for the sins of a nation. And our text tells us that exactly 3 o'clock, when the horn is blown, Jesus gives up his last breath. And the horn now signifies that there has been a beautiful sacrifice for the sins of the world. Not just a nation. He goes on to say that the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why would that be important? 
the, the curtain separated the most holy place from the holy of holies. The holy of holies is where God's presence existed, where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. And only one person could ever go in that room, the high priest. And only one time a year on the Day of Atonement could the high priest go in that room. The curtain is torn in two because of Jesus' sacrifice for you and for me, symbolizing that God no longer lives in a place. No longer is he just for one people. But a relationship with God is possible for everyone. What a beautiful picture that you and I do not have to be left behind, that we truly can enjoy a relationship with our Creator. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By His death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. We no longer have a barrier. There's no longer a need of something here on earth to create a mediation between us and our Creator. That is now Jesus Christ who reigns on high. He is God. And He's created a way for us. But there is still debate about what happened on the cross. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3. The idea... For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. We're reminded that Jesus took our punishment. He took what was meant for us, and he took that to the cross. And because of his sacrifice, the Hebrew writer reminds us in chapter 9 that we have an eternal inheritance because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We get to celebrate eternally with our risen Savior. Unbelievably, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5 that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We were the ones at the praetorium. We were the ones who stood at the cross. And yet, even so, he looked at us and said, I forgive you. I want a relationship with you. And so because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, because of the shedding of his blood, Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are made holy and righteous because of Jesus Christ. What a great story, church. To know that He is indeed making all things new for us. That we can bask in the sunshine of His glory. What He has done for us and brought us through. Why? Why the cross though? I mean, if God is determining how we are saved, couldn't it have been something different? But we know that God is a fair and a just God. And there must be punishment for sin. There can be no forgiveness without a cost. And the Hebrew writer reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. I love John Stott's quote 
from his book, The Cross of Christ. It says, the essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. While we sin, we put ourselves where only God deserves to be, and God puts himself where we deserve to be. Church, we are so blessed. We are so loved. And the beauty of this story is it doesn't matter where you think you've been, how bad you think you've been, where you think you have been run off to. Jesus says, I've created a path for you to come back into relationship. I want you so bad that I have died for you. And we know that Sunday's coming, don't we? He did die, but that tomb is empty. And we rejoice and sing hallelujah because of that. You and I have been given another lease on life. You have a Savior who loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And so we, we are called to live, thankfully, in our life. We are called to live in such a way as to give him the gratitude and all the glory. That we turn over our heart to him. We say, God, come be Lord and King of my life. I want to surrender who I am so I can become who you are. You've given yourself for me. Allow me to give myself to you. And he's done all that needs to be done. This morning is a great morning for you to reconnect if you have found yourself unconnected. If you have in your own life not had the peace and the joy that only Jesus Christ can offer right now, he says, come to me. If you've got burdens that you're carrying, guilt you're carrying, he says, bring that to me. Lay that on me. My yoke is easy. My teaching is light. I want to be a part of your life. I've made everything possible, and I'm just waiting on you. He says, I love you this much, and I'm waiting on you to make up your mind. Do you love me too? No matter how long it takes, I'm never giving up. No matter what, I love you that much. And so as you reflect, as we sing this next song together, maybe right where you stand, you're going to make a recommitment to Jesus Christ. Maybe right where you stand, you're going to think about where your heart has been and where you would rather it be. Maybe you have forgotten the story of how much God loved you and it's time for you to come home. Maybe as we sing this song, our our shepherds will be gathered along the wall of this room, and maybe you'll have a desire to go let them pray for you and over you. Let them lay hands on you. Whatever speed bump you've got going in your life that pulls you away from that relationship with God, it's time to let that go. It's time to lay it at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for what you've done for me. I want everything that you have to offer me. I want to be everything I've been created to be. Maybe this morning is the morning that you publicly say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I want to be baptized into his name. I want to rise a brand new creation so that indeed God can make all things new for me through his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day that you wash away your past and start brand new. Wherever you find yourself on your journey, know that Jesus Christ waits for you. He loves you. He's given everything for you. And now it's time for us to join him in the story he's unfolding in the world. Let him rewrite your story. I'm going to ask the praise team to come to the stage at this time, and our shepherds will be gathered along the wall of this room. Don't leave this room today 
without recommitting or committing yourself to Jesus Christ, the one who truly loves you and who can indeed make all things new. Let's rise and sing together.